0: All right, welcome everyone. We are about to start Thursday night class, and um, the Thursday night share, which was the original share that we've been giving, uh, the start, the entire Hasidic center that we have was our Thursday night share. It's exciting that we're getting to use. A whole new upgraded system for the Thursday night class, which even though I've gotten a lot of classes already this week, this one is always my most special one. So for me, it's a it's a happy occasion. In any case, this week is Parshas VaYigash, and then Parshas VaYigash is um, it's Parshas VaYigash. And we learned already all the discourses in, in Torah are on Vayigash. So we need to be innovative. So I, I this year, my go to is Shir HaShirim, Song of Songs. We've done a few Maimarim of Shir HaShirim. And the discourse that we're learning tonight is one of the last discourses in Lukuti Torah. This year, we actually learned the last one Kikashir <speaking in> HaShemayim <Hebrew> We actually almost finished these entire books already. We've been learning these for many years and most of them are recorded. We're trying to gather them together and find them and make an index them and make them all so anybody that wants to learn all of the Torah and and taira are can find the discourses and listen and learn, which is great. It's quite a lot of work. We're on it as a You should all pray because a lot of classes got lost, the early 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 ones. I don't know what happened to some discs. We lost it was on disc, whatever. But Hashem should help; we should find them because it was hours upon hours of chasidus that is very painful. If it's not, if it did not, uh, if we don't have them, but as Hashem will find them. In any case, um, this discourse miyatanach ka'achli is on page Mem Dalid on page forty, which would be equivalent to page eighty-seven. Mem Dalid is forty-four, but in the way the Lekutti Torah is written, it's on page Memdalid in Lekuti Torah, in Shir Hashirim. Shir Hashirim is Song of Songs, and over here, the this discourse, although it was not said on Parshas Vayigash, it was said by the Alter Rebbe on Parshas Bahar, which would mean it was said in, 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 not in this season even, it was said in the season right before Shavuos, between Pesach and Shavuos, Lag Bomer time. And it seems like from the back of the book, which I found, the discourse was said in in, in the city of Shklov. The Alter Rebbe must have been traveling, and he was in the city of Shklov. Shklov was not a Hasidic city, so this was a, a mimer of infiltration. <laughs> the Alter Rebbe was infiltrating into the uh, non-Hasidic area and blowing it up. You can see from the mimer that he blows up the he's blowing up the place. Um, the mimer is why, why. what's the connection to Parshas Vayigash? In, in Song of Songs the bride, it's a, it's a love song between God and Israel and the bride says and the bride says to her husband or to her the, the woman says to the man she says if only you can be like a brother to me if only we can be brothers again that's, her, that's, that's what she calls out. She says, if only you can be like a brother to me. Now, she's in love with him. But she's asking that God should be her brother. So she would be the sister, he would be the brother. Um, now, before we get into what this means, the sages say regarding this verse then we're asking God to be to us like a brother, that this is like, like who? Like Yosef and the, and Binyamin. So it that's why it relates to this parsha, Because this parsha is all about the brothers becoming brothers again. The Torah portion is about Yosef and the reunion with Yosef and his brothers. The family was broken. There was a separation between the brothers. Now they come back together again. We discussed it on Monday night's class uh the unified kingdom of mashiach, if you want to listen, it's a very it was a very beautiful class on Monday night. And over there we discussed the unification of the brothers. There primarily we spoke about Yehuda and Yosef coming together again, what it means in the dynamics. We spoke about it by the on Sunday night as well. Um but it, it here particularly says brother like Yosef and Binyamin. Now how does is is that going to come up in the discourse? Perhaps Is it going to turn back towards Pashas Vayigash? We'll see. So far, I'm not going to finish the whole discourse tonight. And so far, on the part that I learned and we're going to study tonight, I don't see it making its way back to Pashas Vayigash, other than in Hasidist, there are many discourses that do discuss the relationship of Yosef and Binyamin. And what does it mean when we say, if only you can be a brother to me, like Yosef towards his brother Binyamin? However, in this discourse, we're just gonna learn this idea of what does it mean to say to God that we would be brothers to Hashem. Now this concept that that we know we're called children, and that is already a tremendous compliment. We're children of God, that's very close. That's enormously close. But we also refer to ourselves as brothers. As we know that there are certain souls, most of of the souls are called children, most souls are called children of God. But then there are certain higher souls that are called siblings. Like we say in davening every day, we say, For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I'll, 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 peace, I'll speak peace to you. Who is talking? God is talking. And God is saying, for the sake of my brothers, who is, who are God's brothers? God's brothers are, us, we're his brothers. The mimer is going to say that tzaddikim, righteous individuals, saintly people, are called brothers to God. The whole discourse is going to explain what does that mean, to be brothers meaning sharing the same mother. What does it mean, God having a mother? We're sharing the same mother. The verse actually says like this, mi <inaudible> yatencha who is going to make, if only God, you can be a brother to me? Yonek <inaudible> who nurses from the breast of my mother. So this makes it even more puzzling. What are we asking God to nurse? Who, then God would be like an infant. If you'll be like my brother, then you'll be nursing from my mother. It rhymes, but what else does that, what does that mean? How could it even mean that we're asking God to be like a brother to us nursing for my mother? And then it says, um, I will. And I, and I, I should really take out a, a Sheer and Give me a I wanted to bring it. I forgot to take it before. Give me a second. And then the, verse con, then the verse continues and it says, I will. I will lead you, give me a second, I think it's towards the end of Shira Shirah, oh, here it is, <laughs> if only you were like a brother to me. Who sucked, uh, who, who, sucks the, uh, who sucked the breasts of my mother, I would find you outside. And he continues. Em I will find you outside. I will kiss you. Gam lo li, yet they would not despise me. Here, here he, he says, kissing a brother in public is not considered an undignified act young woman yearns to openly display for her love, for her beloved, in such a natural manner. Oh, so on the simple level, she's basically saying, you know, I, I'm in love with you. And I'd love to be able to express it openly. But it's not sneers. It's not modest. It doesn't, it doesn't look good to take the love outside on the street. But if only you'll be like a brother to me. So a brother and a sister. Kissing is more natural and therefore it will not be a shock. That's the simple pshat. At least I'm reading in the Steinsalt's, uh commentary over here. Well, we're going to learn this on a divine level, on a completely higher level as we're going to see. And then it says, and ahokha, I would lead you unbashedly. Aviachcha, I would bring you. base me to my mother's house. Oops. I'm not getting younger. That's what I'm realizing over here. I would lead you. I would bring you to my mother's house. To Lamdeni, who teaches me. There, Ashkecha, I would give you from the spice. Ashkecha miyayin I would give you from the spiced wine to drink. Ma'asis rimayni from the juice of my pomegranates. Okay. So she's saying, you know, If only you'll be my brother. I'll grab you on the street. I'll bring you to my mother's home. I'll give you wine. You'll drink from the pomegranates. This will be really, really beautiful and romantic. That's what she's saying to him. So now for the inside story. As we know that the deepest, deepest, deepest secrets of the Torah are in Shir Hashirim, in the song of love between God and Israel. So the Rebbe is going to explain that the, two, that, the, that the two parts of the verse, one part of the verse talks about if you'll be like a brother to me, and the other part says I meet you outside and I will kiss you. So according to the first, according to the interpretation that I read to you, it's one continuation. It's if you will be like a brother to me, then even if we're outside, I can give you a kiss and it won't be embarrassing because you're like my brother. But on a deeper level, as we're going to see, the verse is talking about two aspects of our relationship with God. One is being like a brother. And that represents a certain natural closeness. Because siblings are very close to each other naturally. Siblings are close to each other naturally. Meaning it's... and right, it's. But then I meet you outside. I meet you outside, as we're going to explain, is referring to souls that get distant from God. So they're not naturally close because they've kind of wandered off and become separated and far and and to a certain sense, disconnected. Through the trials and tribulations of life, they've landed outside, outside of holiness. Yet since our souls are intrinsically one with God, so eventually, through our wanderings on the outside, what happens? All it does is it creates a greater longing in the soul. And then I'm tz'achah when I finally see you when I'm outside, which means when I'm far, I'm distant, I'm removed, I can't control myself, I, I go and I kiss you. Which, as we're going to see in the discourse, is more intense than the brother. Because a brother and a sister aren't necessarily kissing. They have a very close relationship and it's meant to be that way it's meant to be a lukewarm relationship if it gets a little too intense it's a little uh, not kosher right so a brother and a sister they're meant to have a closeness but not one that leads to this this intimacy but and I meet you outside shakai will kiss you is referring to as he's going to explain in the discourse another type of a soul a soul that gets but wanders off and lives in the world of outside not close to God as being like a brother. Those that become distant, those souls, because of the distance, have an intense yearning. And therefore, when they finally get a chance to do a mitzvah, they melt into a kiss when they do a mitzvah. It's like when you meet a Jew outside and you put on tefillin to him and he never put it on. Boy, is he putting on that tefillin. He's melting into the tefillin. And he's locked in a kiss with God like I wish the guy who's been putting on tefillin all his life can never get to that. That's the the outsider, the one who gives the... and, and so he's going to explain all these. Primarily, he's going to explain that these are these are tzaddikim and balay tshuva, the righteous, those that are born, ra- those who lead a life of a life of righteousness, and they're always close. And then those that go outside, and they and they, in- but there comes forth a, a certain intensity, and he's going to explain the main point of the discourse is that there is a quality in tzaddikim and people that are always holy and always godly, and from the get-go always do the godly thing, and live an entire life of being totally unified with Hashem. There's something very beautiful about that and very powerful. Then there's something very powerful of those that are penitents, those who go off and go far, but then return. Yet the ultimate quality is when we can fuse together these two qualities, is when we can bring tzaddikim to do tshuva, when you have tzaddikim who are perfectly righteous and always do the godly thing, yet they experience the intense yearning for God like those who gone distant. In other words, the ultimate is to bring these two 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 beings together to fuse them, which usually is impossible because people that are always close don't have that yearning. But he's going to conclude the mimer, and that's why I also am excited about it because I love learning about Mashiach. So for me, when we have a Mashiach part, it gets me excited. So the, end, not always in the ancient Hasidic Memorim, and the old Hasidic Memorim, I mean from those of a few hundred years ago, is the emphasis so much on Mashiach? But in this discourse, yeah. Because the Memor is going to conclude that Mashiach is going to be the one who's going to bring the tzaddikim to do tshuva. And how he's going to do that, we'll soon see. He's going to bring all the righteous people, they're going to do tshuva. And you're going to have the fusion of the beauty of the, the brothers with the intensity, those who are siblings, and yet they have the the longing and the desire like those that are far. As we're going to see in the discourse. So let's take a look inside. Me yoy imi Who will give you like my brother to me? Yoy <speaking> imi <in Hebrew> Those who who, who who nurses from the breast of my mother. <speaking in Hebrew> now this this statement by Meras, Yisrael the ensemble of Israel says this. That means all of our souls speak this. This is King Solomon speaking on behalf of all of our souls. Or rather, we should say the Shekhinah, who is the mother of all souls, the feminine aspect of God, the mother of all souls, is speaking to the male aspect, to God himself, and crying out and saying, if only you can be my brother. So what does that mean? La Baruch Baruchu, that Knesset, Israel, the Jewish people, the, is- the souls of Israel are saying this. La Baruch Hu to God Bisman she'ein b'isam Migdosh Kayam. At the time when the temple is not standing. Another reason we should learn this tonight, because tonight is Tevis. This is the beginning of the exile. The tenth day of Tavis is the beginning of the exile. The first crack in the relationship between God and Israel, and later led to a full breakdown and 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 a distance and a separation, which were separated this this year 2620 years already that we reached, reached this year, 2620, since um, since uh, Nebuchadnezzar laid siege on Jerusalem. So that's the beginning of the exile. The beginning, beginning. That's why it's a very serious fast. Usually we don't fast on Fridays. The sages tell us that if Asar Tevis, the 10th of Tevis, which is actually tonight and going into tomorrow, would fall out on Shabbos, we would have to fast even on Shabbos. It's a, it has the same severity like Yom Kippur. Even more than Tisha B'Av. That's how serious this fast is. Why? Because it's the beginning of all trouble. Everything starts. So it, this, this, this discourse speaks about the yearning of Israel during the time of exile. When we lived in the time of the temple was we standing, we enjoyed a closeness to God. You were our brother. We were like siblings living in one home. You, God was living with us in the temple. So we were literally living together under on one roof. And then we got distant and we got far. So we're we're reminiscing and we're saying, Me who can only bring us back to the good days? That you should be kaachli, you should be like a brother to me. The Indian Kaachli, and what does it mean to be a brother to me? We find that Israel, the Jewish people, are called brothers and friends like it says, it says this is actually what's also nice. This is in the in this year's in, in our Rebbe's capital. The Rebbe's capital that we say is chapter one twenty two. So in chapter one twenty two, Shira ma'lois samachti Imrimli. And this in this chapter we say at the end of it, Adabra So this is also pertaining to this particular year, this time. So we're saying, chavere, I, for the sake of my brothers and friends, Adabra, no, I will speak. Now, the Rebbe is gonna prove from here, the Alt Rebbe says that when we are when are we called brothers to God, we were brothers to God when God was manifesting himself in the temple, and then we enjoyed a closeness, and then we were on the level of brothers. How do we know? Because the verse continues after it says, For the sake of my brothers I speak peace. It continues, beis Hashem, for the sake of the house of God. So you see that when are we brothers? When the house of God is standing. When the house of God is standing, then we can relate to God as a brother. The seyf on the end of the verse is, beis Hashem for the sake of the house of God. Dahainu, which means, at the time when the holy temple was standing, nikra achim vireyim. It's at that time we are called brothers and we're called friends. And therefore, that's why the the, the, the Yisrael, the souls of Israel, are requesting Gam Achshav. They are requesting also now if only we can be back to siblinghood, if only we can get back to that closeness when we were siblings, when we were so attached, so unified together. So let's understand what does that mean to be a brother of Hashem. What does that mean? How does how that experience? What's that? In <inaudible> a is known, so he's going to explain that it is known, be <inaudible> There are two levels in Israel. Two levels in which a person can be in. Good levels. Either one is good. If you're not in any of these two levels, you need help. And one of them, either a tzaddik, and if you're not a tzaddik, then that means you have an opportunity to become a baltchuva. But one of the two. Other than that, not being a tzaddik and not being a balchuva, no good. So then we then then you got to become a balchuva. <laughs> but everybody has, as long as we're breathing, we still have that option. Tzaddik, we don't everybody has doesn't everybody has the option, because you know, to be a tzaddik, you have to like kind of be never messed up. But if you've already messed up already, at least we can become a bolchuva. But there are two types of souls, two types of people: people that are righteous and people that are penitents. Balichu, opa mashma. Now, which one is greater? Is it greater to be a tzaddik or is it greater to be a balchuva? Opa mashma. And at times it implies, from the words of the sages, shemaylis balichuva gadol that the quality of a balchuva is greater than a tzaddik. Like it says, makim the place where the Balchuva stands, ain't Sadikim gemurim, even perfect Sadikim cannot stand on that level. So it's clearly, there's a clear statement from the Sages where they say that the level that a Balchuva reaches, even perfect Sadikim can't reach. Upam, but there's other times. Shavhum Mailat Sadikim Oid, but there are other statements in the sages where they praise the quality of the saintly people, those who never sinned. Okay, the Indian, for example, what's the example? It says when God was deciding if he should create the world or not, it says God consulted with the souls of the tzaddikim. God consulted with the souls. It doesn't say that God consulted to create, and the tzaddikim encouraged God to create, which means what stimulated God to create is that there will be tzaddikim. That's what God Hashem's interest in the world. So if if the tzaddikim are the reason for creation, means they're very high. Because they prompt all of existence, all of creation. It doesn't say that he consulted with the souls of Baal In that sense, it implies that tzaddikim are greater. So he's going to explain that both are true. In some ways, a Baal is much greater. And in some ways, a tzaddik is much greater. But according to that, it's either or. Because if you're a tzaddik, you can't be a bolchuva. The whole point of a bolchuva is someone who's messed up and coming back again. If you're a balschuva, you can't be a tzaddik. because if you're a bal tzaddik, it means you're a penitent that means you once were were not okay. So you're no more a tzaddik. You lost your innocence. Either you've been always innocent and holy or if you lost your innocence you can still you can still be a bal You Can't be both. He's going to explain over here in the Mimer that you can have your cake and eat it too. You can have both see. This is going to say that you can become, you can be a tzaddik of bal tshuva. And, and that's what Mashiach is going to lead the Jewish people to, to have both qualities, as we're going to see. Uh, and at other times, they they applauded and they praised the quality of tzaddikim where it says, with who did God console, Binish shal tzaddikim, with the souls of the righteous. amru they did not say the ba'al tshuva. Uksiv, and it says another verse, the your nation are all tzadikim. From this that it says that all all of Israel, all your nation is tzaddikim, and it doesn't say Balichuan. So you see that there's a certain quality of being tzadikim. So he so so the first in chapter one, till we get to chapter two in the Mimer, Perik Olive, before we get to Perik, is all going to explain what does it mean to be a Tsadik? What's the divine accomplishment of tzaddik? It's not like in Tanya where he explains a tzaddik, someone who you know. What's the level of tzaddik? You can explain what's the primary the godly effect on the world through tzaddikim. What do they? What do? What do they do? And in and, and 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 I'm just gonna say, tell it to you in a nutshell, so you can grab the challenge and leave. already if you want to go. <laughs> if you want the whole, the whole, the whole thing is that basically tzaddikim are those who are able to download God completely into the world to synchronize earth with heaven. Tzaddikim are able to align themselves perfectly with the divine. And by doing that, they channel God into this world and fulfill God's desire of having a home in this world. A home in this world is, he's going to explain at length in the discourse, how creation is infinitely insignificant and nothing, and therefore, there's only a crumb of a crumb of God's energy in the creation, in all of the cosmos. And so, therefore, creation amounts to absolute zero. Yet, God wants to make the creation His home. He wants to move in fully, His entire self, to move into the creation and be and be living down here with us. That's His desire. The tzaddikim are those who do that. But the way to do that is you have to completely, completely, completely cancel your ego to become completely egoless, and that happens through a, a very, a, a, a lot of avoda, of recognizing the nothingness of creation as it is, and therefore yearn with an incredible yearning for what's really true and substantial, which is God, and recognize that we are nothing in front of him. And when you reach that, and therefore you're ready to relinquish all the, all the, all the selfish activities and wants and desires in which we're serving self, and instead hollow ourselves out completely of self and become a complete funnel for God, so much so that He's going to explain it in the discourse, we can kind of make that our our thoughts should be God's thoughts. So our physical brain becomes the becomes the landing space for God to be thinking in our brain. And that is when we're thinking Torah in our mind. The Torah is not our thoughts, it's God's thoughts. So now God kind of took over your mind. You're not, you're not there anymore. God is in your mind, thinking his thoughts in your physical brain. And then when you extend that to not only thinking it, but also speaking it, then God took over your entire power of speech, your vocal cords, and God is thinking in you and speaking in you. And if you can also manage to take all your actions and make them mitzvahs, then basically God is running his program through you. So then who are you? You're a divine being in this world. Then you're God's brother because you look exactly like him. <laughs> it's just that initially God is all the way in the abstract, and now he's coming down through you into this world. You are exactly like a twin with God, like twin, brothers and sister, or brother, two brothers. You're know, completely similar to each other, and that's the brotherhood. And I sh- and, and we're gonna learn a little, you know, he's gonna flesh it out. We're basically God giving God a, a full-fledged, grounding presence in this world. And then, I, like, like we said earlier, the time of the Beisamigdash God was fully manifesting in this world. So God was like a brother to us. Sadikim are the ones who open up the passageway for God to manifest himself completely in this world, in them, through them, and via them into the world. And because they don't only do it to themselves, they do it with all their objects and with everything they do. They set everything up to match God's will. And then God can fully flow into everything in this world. And God has a home in this world. He's physically, he's present in this world, living over here, fully manifesting in this world. That's what tzaddikim do. But because they're close, there's a certain, there's a certain mellowness to their service. It's very exciting, but a little mellow. Then there is the intensity of those who, who live their lives devoid in darkness and in separation. So they don't have this closeness at all. They don't experience this constant oneness. As we spoke earlier, they find themselves in dark, dark places, so removed from God with powerful, you know, evil, negative energy surrounding them. But being that, as we said earlier, being that they're holy souls in essence, ultimately it has to crack because a soul can't live in a godless existence. Temporarily, yes, but eventually it breaks. And there, there is intense desire. And that's the quality of the Balchuva, as he's going to discuss, but that we're going to leave as Hashem for the next class. But now I'm going to learn today's class. We're going to focus on what the Tzaddikim do. So let's see inside. The, for behold, the tzaddikim. Who's the first tzaddik? It says already about Noach was a tzaddik, but the Jewish tzaddik is Avram. Avram Avinu Abraham. What does it say about Avram? Avram. that he that God says I love him. Why do I love him? Because he will teach his children all the tzaddikim that will come from him. As we said before, all of Israel are tzaddikim. What will he teach them? He will teach them the way of God. Lastly, tzedakah, to do righteousness. So that when, when God kind of summarizes in a nutshell what all of Judaism is, what the purpose of it all, he says, I love Avram because he will teach his children to keep the mitzvahs and live a godly life. But what does he say? They will observe the ways of God to do righteousness. So he's going to explain two points. Number one, when it says to do right, to do tzedakah, to do righteousness, do charity, Charitable act; it refers to all the mitzvot. All the commandments are called are called tzedakah. As he's going to explain why. So when it says he will teach his children to do tzedakah, it means in addition to be charitable and giving and generous and kind, it means to keep all the commandments. Number one, point number two: that when we commit, what's the what happens when we keep? What happens when we when we do mitzvot? What's the result of mitzvot? Fishamru derech havaya that that provides God, the way of, that, that means we're on the divine path. On a simple level, it means we're following God's ways. But listen to the incredible depth. The altar Rebbe says, it doesn't just mean you're on God's way, you're following his instruction, you're on God's GPS. It means much deeper than that. You're opening up a way, a, a, you're opening up a, a passageway for Yutke Vavke for God, for the Tetragrammaton, which is Hashem's true name, to travel down into this world. What does it mean? You're paving a road. Shamru, they will observe. Pathways. Derech Havaya means pathways. Just like without a road, when the roads have been, you know, certain countries that are not that, there's a lot of rain. I, I was once in, in Costa Rica and in the rain season so we were there not in the rain season but I here in the they were telling us in the rain season literally because these roads are most a lot of them are not even paved you go into like you start going on these roads and whatever you're praying that your car is going to make it but dark times they this the people were telling us that for weeks and weeks they're stuck in their village because the roads get literally flooded with water and they can't go anywhere. So they stay put. They have to have enough uh, there to be. So what does a road do? It enables you to move from place to place. Without the road, you can't go. So God needs a road, needs a channel to come down into this world, which means naturally the way he created the world is that his manifestation is not in the world. He's, notwithstanding the fact that he creates it and sustains it and his energy flows everywhere, it's only his energy. It's not him. It's only a little external something of him. It's not him. He wants a road where he can, when he can flow into this world. How does Hashem flow into this world? Those are the passageways of mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are the, ra- the ways of Hashem. Through which Havaya, which is above the world, can come down into the world and live inside the world. B'shem and that's, B'yoyz yeah, Yadua as it is known, Shetahla l'sabriya, so, this idea that Hashem, that Tzadikim, what are Tzadikim? Tzadikim are the road builders who build the roads to enable God to come into the world. So, this idea will be understood. It is known, the whole purpose of creation mm-hmm. is because God wants to have a home in this world. What does that mean? Because, what does it mean? He does, it would seem to imply that now there is no access for God to this world. And we create him a road so he can come down here. So he explains what that means. Before the worlds were created, all that was in the entire spectrum of space, We're dealing even before space. But let's imagine all possible space before God creates anything. All there is is only him. And his name, which means his potential revelation. But that's it there is only him there is no body or entity that experiences itself other than god experiencing himself that's all that there is is only him suddenly god creates a world what does it mean he creates a world he carves a hollow inside of himself in which he plants suddenly us he plants a a a a a a an existence that at least from its perspective sees itself as a reality and that reality at least to some degree blocks and is interfering with the exclusivity and the oneness that there is only him now in truth this little tiny dot this little tiny black you might say this tiniest little crumb which which includes within it all of existence, the universes and the spiritual, all of existence—it's I mean, not even a tiny blip in God's infinite. Breath. But if we magnify it, and we hold it, and we look at that, and we can, then we suddenly see, whoa, whoa! Open up that little black dot. There is a little black dot. What does that mean? So, from God's perspective, from the ultimate truth, He fills that entire black dot exactly the same, like He, like He's every, like He is outside of it there's no place void of him he's everywhere but that's from the perspective of him from the perspective of the black dot and all the inhabitants of the black dot in that in that empty in that there is a void god is not present there and even if god is present it's only godliness which means little points of divine energy but god himself is outside of the experience of all those who who exist in that in that spot in that in that hollow in that space in which all of creation is created what does god desire that he should have a home home means he should be manifest in a revealed way in that spot that notwithstanding the fact that we are occupying that space he should be fully revealed in this space exactly like he was before he created the world. So what's the Chiddush? What's the novelty? The novelty is that when you re- reintroduce him, it would have to cancel the black hole. It would have to cancel this void. It would, and all those who live in that darkness. But the novelty is he doesn't want that. He wants we should become a home for him, which means he should be able to fill us with, the, with, with his absolute truth, as he was filling this space before he created the world before he brought us onto the onto the onto the screen god brings us onto the screen and he plants us in this in this reality and in that space he's not there or at least not there in any way close to the way he is anywhere before he wants to fill the space exactly like he was before but he wants us to remain intact and us to receive him as he is and that means to have a home in this world where he doesn't have to in any way mitigate himself, condense himself, weaken himself, filter himself so that we can exist. He can be fully himself in our presence, and we are and we are we are fully comfortable in our physical bodies, living in our completely being ourselves and yet being totally one with him. That's the craziness of the way things are gonna be with Mashiach is here. A full fusion of the creation with God himself. That means that he has a home in this world. But in order to get there, there's going to have to be a lot of road building in order to bring the truths of the God that are really manifest only outside of creation into the creation. Those roads are the ways of the mitzvahs. And that's what tzaddikim do. Now why are tzaddikim called tzaddikim? Because they do mitzvahs and all the mitzvahs are called tzedakah. So tzaddikim are tzedakah machines. Okay, they are produced tzedakah all day long because they are mitzvah machines, which means they are just doing mitzvahs. That's all they do. Every movement of there is a mitzvah, and they so they're doing a lot of tzedakah. Now, why are all mitzvahs called tzedakah? Because the essence of a mitzvah, as we're explaining now, is to channel God from above the creation into the creation. That is exactly what tzedakah is, because the meaning of tzedakah is. That someone, a rich man, someone who has affluence or has whatever they have, gives to the one that's poor. In our sense, God is rich because he is truth. The black hole is poor because it's a pathetic, nothing of an existence. It's a real weak existence. Even if we lived a billion years, we would still be a weak existence because compared to infinity, a billion years is nothing. zero. All time and space is nothing compared to infinity. So all of creation is considered absolute nothing and therefore absolutely poor. When you give and bring God's existence into the creations, you're doing the biggest tzedakah ever. You couldn't give a bigger tzedakah ever. You're giving someone absolute reality. You're allowing this, this, this space that was once devoid and empty from God, you're giving them God. So you're giving the biggest tzedakah. You can give someone money, which you're giving them, which they can buy life. But material life is not real life. Spiritual life is not even real life. God's, God life, that's real life. So when you're pumping God into something, which is what you're doing when you're doing every mitzvah, that's why all mitzvahs are called tzedakah. Since tzedikim go around the world doing nothing but mitzvahs day day out and day long. That's why they're called tzedikim. So they're constantly channeling God into the world. And that's the, that's the, the mission of Tzadikim in this world. And they bring God to manifest. And once God comes down, he's going to explain he's called our brother. Because he's very, very present, revealed, and living in our reality. Now I know, now we're going to learn a little quicker. This was just to, to lay out the foundation of it. Again, because until the world was created... God alone God was alone in this world I knew. and that was the way it was before but now we need but now we need that the oneness that was before creation should permeate into the creation what's what, if, if we had to say what is one phrase that capsulizes all of judaism what is one phrase that is like the core center of our belief it's shema yisrael hero israel that means you know in october 7th there were some sadly some times when when the time the rescuers came there were people were hiding out in ditches for hours and 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 there was and and, and a lot of the a lot of the um IDF soldiers or police or whatever there was that were coming in were terrified because and any, you know, you know the terrorists were all over the place. There were people that were hiding, and the people needed to identify themselves. So just speaking Hebrew wasn't exactly always the the thing because these terrorists also spoke Hebrew, many of them. They lived in Israeli territory, okay, Gaza, whatever, but they so, so uh some or smart to cry out, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Ulikeinu, Hashem Echad, uh, everybody knows that. That's the motto of being a Jew. So there were stories where people yelled, Shema Yisrael. That's where they knew that the person is Jewish. Because you know the Shema Yisrael. That's the, that's the corner of faith. The main word in Shema Yisrael is the word Echad. Because Echad means we're here to make oneness. What does it mean we're made to make oneness? In this little black hole, Before we channel God in is a world of multiplicity. Because where God is removed and He just drops a little energies into it to create, it creates a billion billion creatures where each creature feels itself for itself. That's why it's many. But when you uncover the singular oneness of God filling the entire space, and that we should then all of the multiple multiple world becomes absolutely one. Like it's going to be a Mashiach's days, where we're all going to feel very. It's not just going to be attached to God. We're all going to feel magically attached to each other, and to everything in this world, because we're going to sense the unifying factor that unifies the singular essence of God, that is the essence of all of us, and that unifies all of existence. So that's what he's saying. The main work that tzaddikim need to do is to bring the echad down into the place where temporarily, from the time of creation until now, we do not feel the oneness. And our work is to burrow holes into the world so that the singular oneness of God can come down and fill the entire world. So that the echad should be downloaded also below into our reality as it is above what does it mean as it is above as it is above the creation above the worlds there is oneness that oneness needs to fill our reality as well now we'll understand why it's called the ways of God the roads of God just like a road that is meant to travel from city to city so in our case we need to create a road from where from havaya that transcends the worlds min shei from the transcendent Yudke vavke that is above the worlds, for it to travel and he should reveal himself gamla also below. How far low? But even in the most in the lowest of all of, of existence, which is our material world, because we know that the creation is layered, many many layers of creation. It's one thing to manifest God in. In, in, in a more spiritual world. It's another thing that even in the physical, chunky world of physicality, even down here, we should sense and feel the perfect oneness of Hashem. Kam which which is called, the world of Asiya is called Olam HaChoshech. It's the world of darkness. The upper worlds are, have a little brightness to them, a little natural light. In the higher worlds, there is natural light. Naturally, before they even do anything, when an angel is born, the angel is already semi is already very conscious of God. And then there are certain lower levels, or at least they're semi conscious of God. When you're born in a physical body, you have no consciousness of God. You can use your mind and come to a conclusion that there must be a God, but it's not an innate consciousness because our world is dark. Our world is where you see material existence as self, self-sustaining, self-substantiated existence, and God is a concept, if anything. And we have to stop, we have to end this. We have to end God being a concept. God has to become reality, something that is felt in our gut. Not just in our gut, it's felt like a physical sensation. He's seen and felt as the only reality. That's the way it's going to be. After we finish constructing the roadways, and God can fully travel down into this world, we will feel Him, and the, with with that, with that concreteness of the same way we feel the physical world, we will see that the substance of everything is only Him. He will fill everywhere, and there will be only Echad in the world. So, so to draw God down, even in our material world, the world of darkness. So in order to do this, that's called a road, which means, this is, causes God to travel. And that's why these roads, it's for that reason that these roads are also called tzedakah. Just like tzedakah makes poor people rich rich but richer than they were before you gave tzedakah to someone the person has what to eat they have to have where to they have to they, have, they, have, they, they can pay their, their place to lodge so you're, you're giving them something and what are, what's the main point of, of 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 tzedakah to enliven the spirit of the lowly meaning those that initially didn't have and now you're giving them life so too the entire world the space of creation, especially the lowest world, is called an impoverished impoverished world, a very poor existence. And when we bring God down into it, that's called giving tzedakah. Okay? So too, when we draw down God's name, the Yudke Vavke, which is God himself, to the world of darkness, when we draw Havaya down to the world of darkness, then we've given tzedakah. The Alkane, and therefore, and that's why all the mitzvahs are called tzedakah. Like it says, so there's a few versions to this mimer. I just want to say this mimer that is printed in the Torah is actually a very hard version, meaning it's pretty cryptic. It doesn't, it's not as the same mimer is because the Alter Rebbe would, wouldn't write Mimerim, he would say my and there were different. Um, scribes who would write. Uh, one of the, uh, the Altar Rebbe's scribes was the Mittler Rebbe, his son. He himself wrote what he heard from his father. This book called Mamari Admar Razakin, this is based on the years. The Torah is just a, 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 a based on the parsha, but these are based on the years when the Alter Rebbe said it. So this mime was said in Tafkov Samachay, which is um, 2000, not 2000, uh, 1800. And, 1800 uh, 1805 1805. so when the altar Rebbe said so the different rise also the middle the middle of version that's printed over here is much more elaborate the version over here is is a very um it's much more pages over here actually it's more it's longer it's more explained um it's also an oratara from the tzadik also has this mimer with a lot of with a lot of um explanations, uh, little uh, footnotes that he puts. But in any case, over there, they bring psukim to prove this idea that all mitzvahs are called tzedakah. More than what it says here, he brings one very obscure pasuk. It's interesting that he chooses from all the psukim, he chooses this one pasuk. But the more common pasuk that's usually brought, that all mitzvahs are called tzedakah, is because there's a pasuk in somewhere in Deuteronomy, I think, in Devarim, where it says, U lanu. It will be tzedakah to us. K'inishmar says kol mitzvahs Hashem. When we will do, when we will observe to keep all the mitzvahs of God. So we see it says explicitly in the verse that when we do all the mitzvahs, it's going to be considered tzedakah. Now, but the pasuk that he brings over here is a pasuk from Nehemia. Right, Nechemyah is all the way the end of Scripture, chapter ten, verse thirty-three, and over there it says like this. The Jewish people were coming back after the exile in in Babylonia at the end of the Asar story that we're now commemorating when they were coming back and they were rebuilding the second temple the Jewish people had been very very spiritually um broken during the exile exile is not a good situation physically it's not good But spiritually, it's even worse. Obviously, God's doing it because something beneficial comes out on a very deep level. But on a more conscious and experiential level, exile wreaks havoc on our souls. It messes us up big time. And when the Jews came back then, they were really, really messed up. Many of them had intermarried and were were married to non-Jews. And 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 there was all kind. There was a lack of observance of Shabbat and all the things. There was a lot of assimilation, and and now and that was only a seventy year exile. We're not talking about a two thousand (laughs) year exile. Can imagine. So they were trying to repair the breaches as they were building the temple. So one of the things is that they they wrote a they all signed a document, and they put it into the holy temple, pledging their allegiance to God, pledging that they're doing tshuva and they're repenting and they're going to be one of the things they took upon themselves is that, even though they were very poor, is that one of the things, that's why the temple, the second temple when they built it was a very moderate temple. Later, uh, Hordis rebuilt it and made it really, really gorgeous. But initially it was on a more modest scale because they didn't have the means. Um, But in any case, they pledged that they will give, in addition to the half a coin that you have to give Yearly uh, they will give extra. There's certain shlish. It says these words: "Vahamideinu aleinu We have taken upon ourselves mitzvahs, commandments, to give extra tzedakah. So, what does the Alter Rebbe prove from that verse? It should have said: "Vahamideinu We we have taken upon ourselves extra charity, an extra an extra financial obligation. The fact that they called a financial obligation, they called it "we took upon ourselves mitzvahs." So you see from here that when you're giving financially tzedakah, you can call it mitzvahs because really all mitzvahs are really tzedakah. That that's what he's using that pasuk. I, I, I just to me it was interesting because I, I I don't remember seeing this proof in Hasidis for this for this idea. And how the altar Rebbe has to go schlep out of pasuk all the way somewhere buried in the but it was interesting to me, and I looked it up. So I'm like, "Kamoshikasit," <laughs> like it says, "Vahamideinu aleinu uh, Khulu, yeah, and that's the proof that all all all, all tzedakah is called mitzvahs. I'm sorry, all mitzvahs are called tzedakah. And now he adds to this idea that every mitzvah is tzedakah to the cosmos. That's what mitzvahs are. You're doing you're doing tzedakah with the world. Because you're bringing God into the world. You're giving true existence to the world. So he adds to that to prove that idea. Because it says in Zohar that the 620 commandments, we know 613. But really it's 620. Because we also have seven rabbinic commandments. Together with the 613 plus seven is 620. So the Zohar says that the 620 mitzvahs, which is the numeric value of the word keter, the crown, are called 620 pillars of light. What is the idea of a pillar? Idea of a pillar is, imagine these massive pillars, but look at the pillars like pipes with a hollow inside. It's like the pillars are like these, in, in modern terms, we're gonna, we would call it 620 cables. But in this case, it's twenty. It's 620 pillars. Now, a pillar is also good because the pillar attaches the roof to the earth, to the ground. But if here you want to show something else that's not just attaching, it's touching the roof and touching the ground. It's not just holding it together, but also that there's a download taking place. The mitzvahs are down, pathways of download to download from Keter, from the crown. What's the crown? Above the creation. Keter is where God is manifesting in all of his infinity. From the infinite, from the endless, from the boundless. And channeling that down into the creation. So that God can live down here through the mitzvahs. Mitzvahs, Dei 620 pillars. I'm HaMamailah, it's drawing down from above and This is the idea of tzedakah. That's why all mitzvahs are called tzedakah. Now, the Tzemach tzedek adds a parenthesis over here. Which, when the Tzemach tzedek usually throws in his parentheses, these are footnotes of the Tzemach tzedek, And what he basically does is he basically references all of Hasidus in these short little things. He's like, oh, look over here, look over there, look over there. This makes sense with this mind with that mind with that mind with that mimer. With that mimer, with that mimer, with that mimer. Samach Tzedek looks like he's having fun over here. You know, it's like he's throwing around all, all like, all like a whole bunch of references. Which, when you look in all these places, it adds clarity and a depth to what you're learning. Usually, these these references end up being far more complicated. And the only way to really crack it open is you have to take every source that he brings and open up those books. Usually, that means you have to have like 50 books on the table and open up and read. And go through all of them and only then can you really understand why he's referencing this and this and this. How each one of these references is adding clarity to what we're learning. Okay, And I did not take the 50 books today. So I'm going to go through it but just very briefly. Because he does reference a mimer. The main point that he's referencing is over here. Is a mimer that we learned this year, a couple, two months ago, three months ago. Mimer Shuvah Yisrael. And, and therefore it, I was able to ma- figure out a little bit what he wants in yesh we can say according to what we just explained what does it mean that means to draw down me from shemavaya what shemavaya generally shemavaya is the godliness that manifests in the world of Atzilus. because the world of Atzilus, the world of emanation is is a divine world and that's where you have the the ten spherot, god's attributes so the experiences of Atsilos are God. It's nothing other than God. It's God's intelligence, God's emotions, and the, and the like, God's speech. However, below Atsilos are the three lower worlds, Bria, Yetzirah, and Asiya, where there is separation, where there is not Havaya, because over here there is me and you and all the other creatures that inhabit this space, where the, the intellect and the emotions are not God. It's our intellect and our emotions. So, what does it mean, the Dera that we can bring Natsilus's intelligence and Natsilus's emotions down into Briya Asim? How do you do that? When our emotions become synchronized with God's emotions. Like the Torah says, just like God is kind, you be kind. And the Torah says, God, just like God is benevolent, you be benevolent. And just like God is compassionate, you be compassionate. And when our compassion is God's compassion flowing through us and God's kindness flowing through us, then it means that Atsilus, which is the world of emanation, is dropping down into the three lower worlds, into Briya, Yitzir, and Asiet, to the point that a tzaddik, like someone like the Rebbe, all of his emotions and all of his thoughts and all of his activities is basically, he's just a physical vessel for God to be thinking through him and God's activities to be done through him, it's, it's just a funnel, just a funnel. So that means to draw Atzilus down into Bria Yetzirah, and even in Asiyah, and that's Atzadik. Atzadik really is, this is extreme, but that's what it is, Hashem in a human body. Not because he's God, because He's he's dissolved all of his separateness. There's no more separateness. So now God is coming through him completely. That's a Tzadik. So, to draw from the Sheim Havaya into the three lower worlds. However, according to what we explain now, Derech Havaya means, the point that he's going to make over here, according to the way that we understand now, Derech Havaya means like this. There is already Havaya exists. What is Havaya? Havaya is not God. Havaya is a manifestation in which God, it's a name. Always a name is the way you express yourself. So Havaya is an expression of God. So Havaya is the way God expresses himself, God's personality, so to speak. Derech Havaya means that to allow Havaya that exists already, Havaya that is, but above the world, to enter into our lower existence. That's the meaning, a roadway for Havaya. However, the tzemach says in other discourses, in other discourses he explains derech havaya differently. That what does derech havaya mean? A pathway to havaya, to open up a way that God, sh- that havaya should become havaya. What does that mean? A much higher explanation in derech havaya. Hashem is really beyond His name, because a yutke vafke is already a certain specified definition he's captured already in certain letters he's defining himself with certain features god is really above all these definitions what does it mean derech avaya that hashem should lower himself down into yutke vavke he should contract himself to become intelligence he should contract himself into emotions so, according to that explanation, Derech Havaya doesn't mean Havaya. The question over here are we, are we addressing the Or in self, the Infinite One, and opening and drawing him down to become Yudke Vavke? Or are we taking the Yudke Vavke and bringing him down lower? So, these are two explanations in Derech Havaya. Sometimes it's explained Derech Havaya. Allowing Havaya to come down here. Other times it's explained, Derech Havaya, is to allow God to be called Havaya. And the Tzema is going to say, he's going to reconcile, that both are true. And our work through mitzvahs, we accomplish both. First of all, we make God have a certain personality. Because without our mitzvahs, God God, God retreats back into a beyond personality state. Without us engaging him, God melts back into his undefined. Not only is God not present in the world; he doesn't even have a personality. He moves to a place of infinite—you might say—potential, but into a non—into essence. He goes back into predefined, predefined essence, predefined infinity. That's where he retracts. So the first job is to encourage Hashem to emanate of himself a certain personality. Then the second thing is, once he has a personality, to bring that personality down to manifest in the physical, in the material. So these are two stages that both of them happen. This is what the basic idea that is explained in this little footnote of the Tzemach Tzavik. Omna Mamakamachan is bar. Elsewhere explains that the point of havaya is to be Mamshech, to draw God down, that he should become Avaya. Like it says, we will sing to Avaya, means as it, parsh in the, in the song by the splitting of the sea, it means we will sing to make God be Avaya. However, we can say, they're both included. It's not a conflict. They're both included in Derech Hashem, the way of Hashem. sham there's, there's a mimer, it says God says in Shir Hashirim. There's a Hasidic discourse on another verse in Shir Hashirim where Hashem says you've captured my heart, my sister, my bride. The word Li Bavtani implies two hearts it's explained that there are two hearts in the soul. There's a more external heart and there's a much deeper heart. Through the work of the more external heart, we draw God down more into our world. But through the work of the deeper heart, we draw Hashem down from God's, from above, from God into the higher worlds. In other words, first Hashem has to even manifest. So these two levels, creating God to be called Havaya. And then to bring avaya down into this world, they're related to the two levels of heart, two levels of service. The efshar, and look at the beautiful thing he says, the efshar, and it's possible. Lekach derech, that's why the word derech, a little gematria to add a little sizzle over here. The word derech, which is what we're talking about, derech Havaya, the ways of avaya. the word derech is gematria 224. Dalid reish chaf, 224. So what's significant about that? Cool Gematria. 224 is 2 times 112. 112 and 112 is 224. How much is 112? 112 is the Gematria of Havaya Elohim. Havaya is 26. Elohim is 86. 86 and 26 is 112. Two times Hashem Elohim is Derech. What's the significance? Because we say that we, we have a phrase that we say Hashem Hu Elohim, right? When do we say it? By the highest point of Yom Kippur, we say Hashem We say it seven times: Hashem Hu Hashem Hu right? The last moments of Yom Kippur—that's the last right Christ, Hashem Hu Now, in the, where does the word Hashem Hu stated? Where does it come from? It's mentioned in in Chumash. But it's also we say it in Aleinu. But it also is mentioned by Elijah, by Mount Carmel, when, the, when they had the whole contest, and when he proves that God is that, that the, 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 the Baal, was the, the, the idol Baal is nothing, and God, is, all the Jewish people fell down to their faces and they yelled two times, Hashem u'elokim, Hashem So why twice? So in the Meimor Shuva Yisrael Ad Hashem Elokecha that we learned a couple of months ago, if you remember, he explains that there are two levels to Hashem Elokim. One level of Hashem Elokim is that Havaya, who is above the world, should manifest and come down Elokim into creation. One meaning in the word Havaya Elokim is that Havaya, the, the the godly lights of Atzilut. The divine manifestation that's above our world, but God is manifesting in the divine range of Atzilus, should come down in the worlds of darkness. The worlds of darkness are, are created through the name of Elohim. Bereshis bara Elohim. Elohim is concealment. So we're asking that Havaya should come down into Elohim. That's the lower, that's one meaning of Hashem who Elohim. To draw Hashem down into Elohim. There's a higher meaning in Hashem Hu Elohim. Much deeper meaning. And well, what is that? Elohim means constriction. So from us looking down, we see our world as a constricted reality, but we look at Havaya, Yudkevavke, God's sefirot and attributes as infinite. Havaya, God's manifestation, that's infinite, that's boundless. So Havaya is Ein Sov, and we're living in Elohim. But there is a certain level when we realize, when we come to a deeper understanding, and we understand that even havaya is Elokim is only a constriction. That even the ginormous havaya that is shining in the world of Atsilos, all the spherot, they only come about through an a massive tzimtzum, a massive contraction. Therefore, what we once thought of is havaya is really Elokim. That's the higher meaning of havaya Elokim, and therefore. Since to, to Hashem himself, even Havaya is Elohim, we have to continuously coach him to come down into Havaya. Or else, why should he even pay attention to it? Why should he even fill his own name of Havaya? Why should he even present himself that way? So, the two times Havaya Elokim Elohim are talking about these two drops that we're talking about in Derech Havaya. One is to help Hashem come down to become Havaya. The other one is to bring the supernal avaya of the higher worlds to manifest also into the physical world. These are the two. So the two Hashem who Elokim's match up with the two pirushim in derech avaya, and both these things we're the ones who have to activate it all. Um, one of the things you learn when you learn Hasidus is you realize that we control everything we control nothing and at the same time, we control everything, literally. All the things we think we control, we have absolutely no control of and all the things we th- we think that are so ginormous and so cosmic that we have no control, it's precisely those aspects that we are literally every movement of our body and every thought we are moving. We are moving supernal mountains. We are causing powerful divine volcanoes eruptions. We're, it's unbelievable what's taking place, because it's all given in our hands. Even creating God's name Havaya, we're responsible in doing that. So let's read this inside the Efsha, Laken. Therefore, Derech Gamatria base Lokim. That's why Derech is called is two times Avaya Lokim because in Derech. Derech, which is derech havaya, we accomplish both meanings of havaya hu elokin. Number one, we make we al That's the maima that we learned. the inyan mashakas of havaya hu elokin, havaya base two times. Masha base of I with a maima Okay, But be your inyan? So now what we need to learn is now he's going to begin explaining how, so now that we have the outline, what's the outline? Sadiqim are here to cause and to draw down that Avaya should fill this world. But now he's going to explain, what does that mean? Why does Avaya have to fill this world? Isn't Avaya already here? Isn't God everywhere? So this is what he's going to explain in the next piece. So don't be intimidated because it's a little bit of a long piece, but it's not because we've already laid out the framework over here. We've already laid out the framework that when God created the world, the actual energy flow that's in creation is not even a crumb of a crumb of... It the energy that's responsible, that manifests in the creations, that produces the world, is not even a crumb of him. doesn't even have anything of him therefore it, but that doesn't mean that we can't have him. it just means that naturally our existence does not although he is here he is everywhere, but that's unrelated to us it's it's like we it's that 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 un that, that's not connected to who we are or what we are the substance of who we are, both our bodies and our soul and even all the spiritual worlds everything what what's what are they their power source what are they plugging into to get power that's generating their existence a crumb of a crumb of a crumb of his energy nothing and therefore they're really nothing but god desired to have a home in this nothing so he wants us to open up a new power flow and that power flow is going to have god's entire self but he's gonna come through a zip drive. That's what mitzvahs are. A mitzvah is God zipping himself into a contracted act. God literally taking his entire infinity and and the absolute substance of who he is, compressing himself into channels which can actually bring the true substance of who he is into the world in a way that it's actually being infused into our existence. So now we are merging with him and we're actually becoming one with him. And that is awesome. And that's what he explains over here. First he has to explain, the first part of this explanation is going to be how creation is nothing to him. And he's, and he's going to emphasize mainly the idea that even the highest of worlds are nothing before him. Those who follow along by Mashiach daily class, for those of you who didn't subscribe to it, it's very, very special. It's the total opposite of this class because it's only five minutes. Every day, I should I should excuse myself. It's five minutes and usually and 57 seconds every day because I know I'm not allowed to cross the six because I promise people only five. So I do it as much as I can squeeze in and I usually end at five minutes and 57 or 54 or 59 seconds. But in any case, it's a short Mimer that I teach every day. We're doing it already for a few months. Every single day, there's about seven 800 people on it that are listening. It's really cool. And um, this last two weeks, we're talking about this concept, how even the highest of highest of highest of existence are all naught before him. They're all literally nothing. Experience So this is what he's going to explain over here, how creation, which means the power source of creation, is nothing to God. And he's going to base it on one point. It's, it's easier always when I make an introduction first. He's going to base it on the, on the idea that when it refers to creation, it refers to all of creation as asiya, like an action. Like it says, God does wonders. Or we say, He does wonders. Or we say, that all of existence, it says, how how many how how multiply how diverse how unbelievably layered we're going to see how many layers of existence there are so when we say many it can mean two levels it can be billions and billions of creatures like billions of stars billions of bugs billions of plants like billions maybe gazillions of, of creatures but also Creation is not one-dimensional. It's layered. Every creature that there is in this world has a has a <coughs> spiritual source on a higher plane. So every bug you see down here has a has a spiritual bug in the higher world. And that bug has a bug above it. And the bugs go in go higher and higher and higher. You know, you don't want to meet these spiritual bugs. But in any case. They they exist on every plane, and everything in the world exists on levels upon levels upon levels. Marabu, yet what is the first? Continue, kulam b'chachma. All of them with wisdom, asisa made. So the word asisa is very really weird because we're talking about spiritual worlds, besides our world. That's not an action. He didn't make something. There's their energies. It should say kulam Um kulam b'chachma. Uh, what would be a good word? What? Even even yatsarta would only affirm to Yetzirah. Yatsarta would be a little bit better. You formed it. Uh I don't know. Huh? But the word Asiya refers to a physical action. So his main answer is going to be that even though you have a Worlds that are much higher than material, than physical, they're super spiritual and super high. And some of them he says, we we we, we don't even we can't even imagine what they're like. When he says we, he means including the Altareb himself. He's saying we meaning even like we don't know nothing, but like <laughs> people like this who have an understanding, they say, But our worlds that are totally beyond anybody's understanding, comprehension of what they are, so sublime, yet the amount of energy to God, they're considered like a physical action. And what's the point? Just like we see within our own experiences, and when we're thinking about something, when we're studying something, there's a lot of our soul invested. There's a lot of our soul invested in what we're thinking. When we're thinking deeply on a concept. Or when we're singing, there's a lot of our soul in song. When we're even speaking, if it's if it's important speech, there's a lot of ourselves invested in speech. There can be a lot of ourselves definitely invested in deep contemplative thought, in in brain in brain work. There's there's a piece of your soul inside these things. But when you're doing an action, it depends. There are some actions that you're really like an artist that's really painting a picture and really putting themselves to it. But then there is an action in which you're just doing like you know you're stuffing envelopes. Like, it's just a mobile act. Now, there must be some energy flowing from your soul to do that. But can you say that any of that mobile energy that you're putting into this action, I'll give a better action. There is the action of driving a car in which your foot keeps on pressing the pedal. It's a movement on your foot. You go from the gas to the pedal, from, from the gas to the brake, gas to the brake constantly. We're not even aware that we're doing it. Because we're talking, we're listening to music, we're fighting with our wife. No, we shouldn't fight with our wife in the car, ever. But whatever it is, where whatever it is that you're doing, your 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 mind is. Your mind can be totally I'm doing a million things. You're not thinking about the action at all. What's your action? What's what your foot is doing? How much of you is in that action? Garnished, especially if you're sitting by a class and you're you're doodling. Or you're taking a piece of paper and you're, like, sometimes you're you're, you're involved thinking something. You take a piece of paper and you're mushing it. Uh, You're you're, you're tearing tissues (laughs) into small little balls. It's like, it's so detached. So that's what it's saying. God's infusion into all the worlds, the highest, is considered only a mere little action. That's how above he is beyond the whole thing Oh but he desired for that little space and that little where he invested nothing to create it to become his home but that happens through Torah and Mitzvot, that to open up the channels to him to enter fully into it that's our work so our work is much greater than creation. When God was creating the world he was doodling. When he went through our mitzvahs, we get him involved completely invested into the creation. That's the cool that's the cool thing. So let's read it inside. the Indian explanation of the matter is the says in the how great are your actions God so you've made them all with wisdom. The Indian Marabu. first let's understand what does it mean how how many this is the multitudes myriads of myriads of the evolution of worlds those that we know of that are grasped to us and those that are so high they're way beyond our grasp like it is stated in the Zohar how do we even know that these worlds exist? the Zohar reveals it to us there's a certain part of the Zohar called the Idra. The Idra was a semicircle circle It was a club. <laughs> it was Reb Shimei Ba Yochai's Kabbalah club. That was the Idra, and um, only very few were selected and allowed to come in. And even those who came in, the teachings were so high and so intense that most of them died. <laughs> That's the story the Zohar says. There was just a few survivors of that of that of that lesson. He took them on a trip. Like they went on a trip, they tripped out completely without without they they didn't smoke anything. this was just pure pure learning. they went into a very deep place but in any case uh, so over there it states all, <coughs> all these levels of worlds Ribu, the endless chain-like progression of worlds, them kulam, and all of them. And all of them are considered to God just like God did something. It's like an action. What does that mean? Even these sublime worlds that are completely beyond any comprehension. And they are a wonder. They're beyond all, all grasp. They're so lofty mutzna. <laughs> this was really cool reading this because when I suddenly he throws in these mutzna, <laughs> it completely completely knocked me off where in the world what is he talking about it's like where do these words come from so thank God we have footnotes in the back so there it says where this comes from it's cool this is a statement of the first passage in Torah of the Midrash Rabbah. In Midrash Rabbah, Ambarashis, the first opening passage of the Midrash begins with the Pasuk, where the Torah says I was by God Amon. I was precious and by God. The Torah says about itself that I was by God Amon. So the, the Midrash makes a statement that when it says Amon it means Amon Mufla, Amon that is Mufla, meaning it's... Shh. Mufla, it is above, it is a wonder. Omon Muchusa, it is Omon, that is Muchusa, is concealed. Omon Mutzna, Omon, that is hidden. In other words, the, at the Mufarsham the, of the Midrash explain, we're talking about three levels of Torah. The, to, the Torah is talking about itself. The revealed part of the Torah is one level. A more hidden part of the Torah is another level. And even a more hidden part of the Torah is mutznah concealed completely. But over here in the altar, he seems to be referring to different levels of worlds that the Midrash is alluding to stages of existence, mystical stages of existence, even such high, So we would think that these worlds, they gotta have some, if they're so magnificent and they're so bright and there's so much godly light over there, they're brilliant therefore no one has any no one no creature, no being has any any glimpse of the of the brightness of these worlds of these lofty levels yet he says from God he was hardly doodling it was created through nothing of him as he says im notwithstanding all of that asiya, even these worlds that are so hidden and so removed are called action to him. As it says, Ose Pele, he does wonder. That means even wonder is considered an action to him. Or another verse, La Ose Ois, to the one who does wonders. Ulkhura, and at first glance, Yesh we need to understand, Mahu Inyanamasha La Sia. Why is it compared to an action? Maach Ruchniyim. We're talking about spiritual worlds. If anything, it should said, You 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 formed it. That's Forming is more like an action, or you created it. Creation doesn't have to mean physical, creation can mean a spiritual creation. Why does it say that you made them all? How can you say by them action? But it's by way of analogy, just like we see when a human being does a physical action. A human below. This action has very little connection to the person's intelligence and his wisdom. That means there's very little of the inner human being, of a human being's true power contained in this, in this little action. The and not much of a person's intelligence is invested in that action. Only a tiny little ray of our intelligence goes into our actions.. I mean, you know. Obviously, it depends what kind of act- action you're doing. If you're writing a paper for 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 school, for college, or for something, or an architect is 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 is, is making a a design for a building, there's quite a lot of your intelligence that goes into it. But even then, since it's it's you're, you're lowering it down into activity, it's only considered a ray of your intellect. And even that, in order for intellect to go down in an action, it has to go through many, many, many enclovements. It encloses itself. Okay. So the same applies to God. That's why we're using the idea of action. By God as well, the amount of energy that is contained in all worlds is only koach hapoel. It's only the power of the maker, benifal that's in the made. It's only a very external, very superficial energy of God that goes from the poel, from the worker, and infused into the nifal, into the actual creation. koach bovad, it's an external power that he has. That's why we refer to him as that we precisely use the word action. Okay. Now, this little droplet of energy of the infinite power of God, the little droplet of energy that does go into the actual creation. Because when you're doing an action, yes, we said, when we're doing an activity very little bit is there but a little is there a fraction of a fraction so that little bit of energy that goes in nikrama this is fantastic this is what the zohar refers to as the energy of god that fills all worlds enormous it's unbelievable this enormous energy that fills all worlds what does it mean it fills all worlds that Every creature and every being is enlivened by God with a particularized energy that fits and is commensurate with each creature. We understand that the voltage level that a blade of grass has is much less than the voltage that there is in the sun. This is a tiny creature. and This is a massive being of enormous energy. So what do we know? Both of them are God's creations. and God is flowing into both. God is flowing into the grass, or else it wouldn't exist. Not only that; it's also growing. So you see, it's al- it's alive. God is flowing into a stone. God flows into everything. To each its own. To each creature, and to each flower, and to each person, and to each animal, and to each each insect, and to each galaxy, to each entity, and to each angel, into each soul. Every single creature gets its own energy. But it's all stemming from what? This one little action that he did. This one little doodle that he did. Yet, from his perspective, it's a drop. From the actual world, it's a cosmic energy. that flows into everything. But what what he's trying to say is that from the ultimate reality, it's nothing. It's literally nothing. So much so. This is so wild. So much so. That anything that exists in this tiny little ball, which contains the cosmos in it, all the worlds and the cosmos, the lowest point, a tiny little um, microcosm, micro, what do you call it? Micro subatomic particle that has the tiniest bit of energy. It says nothing. And the most sublime world with its infinite power and light and powerful godly infusion the differences that they are between them are only relative within this tiny little speck. But to God, the most nothing of the world and the most impressive of the world are both equally nothing. Meaning he so infinitely transcends them both that the most impressive of all of all levels and the most and the most Insignificant are equally insignificant. That's why the verse says to God, <laughs> that light and darkness are equal to you. The worlds of such magnificent light, which to us would be like, whoa, our we would we would literally our minds would just would 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 would, would explode. We couldn't handle it. it, it, it it's unbelievable. Yet. From God's perspective, the highest and the lowest are all equally nothing, as he explains over here. Let's read over Ebenair. That does becoming clothed in the world. It's called the indwelling light of God that fills all the world. However, there's two parts. He says here, there is the effect, like when you're doing something. It's very, it's very, it's very gishmak. When a person does something, you infuse a little bit of your energy into that action. So, when you wrote something, so a little bit of your life force went into that activity. That's called koachapoel binifal, the energy that you invested into an action. But then there is The the power that the person has to do, the power of action. I'm not talking about the greater human being. Forget about it, the greater human being. Let's go much, much less. Within each and every one of us, you have a power to do things. That power to, to do things includes the power to walk up the stairs, the power to kick a ball, the power to... Um, ride a bike, the power to pick up a box, the power to wash a window, the power to cook an egg, every type of movement, the power to play the piano, the power to do photography, the power, I mean, anything. All activities and all actions, which we do with our hands and with our feet, in other words, any type that has to, anything that's associated with our physical mobility and action, all actions, they all come from the power of action that we have in our soul. Now, the power of action that we have in our soul does not go into the action, into the activity. Only a little ray of it goes into every action. Every action has a little, a little, so to speak. Imagine like the sun has rays. Rays of our power of action goes into the individual actions that we do throughout our life. Little rays of it. All these rays, which are different, because the energy once it goes into it, we all understand that the amount of energy that you're going to do to lift a, an enormous heavy, you know, you know, you're moving a refrigerator and, and you're trying to pick this thing up, right? As you're as you're lifting it up, enormous amount of energy you're infusing into this action. We all understand that when you're you know when you when you want to um, um, when there's a little uh, bug on your finger and you go like this, you flick it off. You're not releasing anywhere close to that energy. You're not mustering up your entire power just to go like this, or whatever. It's a little action. So we we understand that there's differences in in in, in terms of amount of energy that is infused to this and infused to that, and the energy is different in every action. Yet, he says the power all these actions and all these powers while they're still in the power of action while they're still in the greater pool of potential that the soul has a potential to do actions all these actions are equal they're all they're all one it's not like inside of you when you're born it's like you have every person has within them you have a power to flick a fly you have a power to wash a window it's not that you have a simple power of movement that includes all these powers. But that simple power of movement, what he's saying is, is like a a circle that includes all actions that you will later do in your life or that you emanate. It's all included in one singular, undefined energy. But since it's the power of action, it's called an encompassing power to all of your actions. The actions are the specific bursts of energy that go out from the potential into action that you're infusing. But prior to them going out into the individual actions, they exist in one pool of potential. And in that pool of potential, all actions are all the same. Meaning it's all there, it's all the potential. And it's bigger than all of them. So with God, it's also that way. Every single world, every single angel Every single creature, down to every single subatomic particle, has its own unique. You know that they they you can see scientifically that every snowflake looks different. There are no two snowflakes the same. And it was cool that they a few weeks ago in, 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 in Toronto they were having a, a rally for Israel. And God wanted to show that He's part of that rally. And the snowflakes that came down were literally you see a girl there, she's showing it. They were in the the snowflakes were in the image of the mug and David. It was so cool. It was like Hashem saying, "I'm with you in this in this in this rally. I'm coming along." It's God's snowflake. Every snowflake looks different because each creature and there's no two creatures alike. Every single thing, which means everything has its own energy. However, prior to the creation of all these particular energies, there's one singular energy that envelops it all. It's not God. It's the power of action that Hashem has. The power of the divine power to make. Now, even to the divine power of making, of action, of, of 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 activity, even to that, all the worlds are equal. Because all the differences are only in the design of the action. But to him who transcends it, all they're equal. Let alone to God Himself that. That everything in the world is nothing. That's where he's, that's where he's going with this. So let's read it like this: The Atzmi is Apoyel, and the essence of the Maker who Pkenasoiv Kolam. He is encompassing all worlds. Kamoya Eagle, and just like a circle, she by Mylo Mata that has no above and no below. Came Kamei Zbarach, so too in front of God, Shavim El Yoinim the Everybody's Everybody is equal, the upper and the lower. Like light, like darkness. And therefore, what, what, what comes out of this is an amazing thing. We would think that God is closer to the sublime spiritual worlds. God is closer. Or they're closer to God. We would think that the that the, that the supernal angels and even in the celestial beings that exist on worlds that are unknown to us, higher and higher and higher, we would think that they're very close. They know where God is. They're very, cl- they understand God. And we, down here, because we're physical, we're mortal human beings, we don't really know much. We're clueless. So we find two verses that say the exact opposite. It's amazing. What does it say? One verse says that the angels ask one another, who are the angels? The highest beings. And they ask they ask each other, where is where is the place of his glory in other words they have no concept of where he is they don't know where he is they don't they ask about him where is he because they don't know on the other hand there's another verse that we say immediately afterwards his glory fills the earth so angels above in heaven are asking where is God they don't know But where is his glory filled in the earth that means earth does know according to that would seem to imply that earth down here knows where his glory is but the supernal angels above they don't know how can it be the answer is like this that he's explaining is like this to god himself it's absolutely equal the, the the divine awareness that we have down here that is nothing. And the godly awareness and understanding and appreciation that the supernal celestial beings have are absolutely the same because they're both absolutely nothing. From the ultimate perspective of being, because what all they know is just the creative energy. They don't know anything beyond the creative energy. So God's truth and God really is. Zero, no nothing. And they're equally clueless like we. But to even say it even stronger, see, my marama is so deep. I'm sorry that it's so deep. <laughs> but 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 the Mimer, but the mimer, to even say this even stronger, he wants to say it like this. It's not he wants to, he's saying that to him, what the lower creatures know of God. Let me ask something. The the lowest creatures in the lowest world, what we know about him, and we say, oh, yeah, tell me about God. Oh, God is wonderful. He is so wonderful because he can do this and he can do that. Which means what mortal human beings could identify and say about God, we know that's laughable. It's laughable. That kind of praise, what we could say, is really laughable. We are, however, impressed with the fact that you, if you can speak to angels and ask them what they know, ooh, that's something, right? How about smarter angels, the most intelligent angels, who are super intelligent, and what do they know? They know a very deep secret. They know that they don't know. So there, if if, if you go to a, a you know a person coming out of church down here you say, tell me about God. Oh, they'll go ahead and tell you as if they know. Right, they know they know about God. Yeah, fine. Then you'll speak to an angel. The angels above, they'll tell you about what they know. Then you'll meet those angels who say, we don't know anything. Wow, Why? Because God is above and beyond. He's beyond, he's beyond. What we are saying over here is that the that the wow, that the angels who say we don't know, they're so wowed by what they don't know, which is a very high level of understanding, is equal, absolutely equal to the silliness of the people down here who say they do know. Why? Because when they're saying "wow," they don't even have a clue about the "wow" is. So, when their "wow" is just has nothing as the as the as the identification that a, that a mortal physical human being will say when he says he thinks he knows. Both of them don't know equally. It's like when the Alter Rebbe was once, this is a little, this is almost like it, but uh, the Alter Rebbe was once by a wedding with the other students of the Magid, other students of the Mizritcher Magid. And there was a Batchen, a Batchen a is a jester, who is meant to make jokes and try to make people merry and happy. And uh, by a wedding. So this jester, obviously, if he's speaking in front of people who can write this book, and his friends and his buddies, a front of tzaddikim, he wasn't someone who was making silly jokes. You had to have someone who was really, really, really on a high level to be able to 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 entertain, entertain. So he the story is that he was like speaking about all the all the students of the Maggid and kind of like poking fun of them, of their service and whatever. Obviously he was a tzaddik on his own to be able to do that. But he skipped the altar. Ever. So then the Alter Rebbe said, how about me? And he said, I'm scared to start up with you. And the Alter Rebbe said, come on. So he said to the Alter Rebbe, what's the difference between me and you? He says, what's the difference between me and you? He says, what I know, let's figure this out. He says, what I know, you know. know, The reason he picked, he said this about the Alter Rebbe, because from all the students of the Magid, everybody knew that the one who knows, it's the Alter Rebbe. Because he knows like no one else. That's the Alter Rebbe's Chabad intellect and the and divine intelligence he said what's the difference he says what i know you definitely know what you don't know i definitely don't either know so we're the same in what i know that you know we're equal what you don't know i don't either know and that we're also equal the only difference is is what you know and i don't know okay that's where we're different that's where you're the Alter Rebbe, and I'm just, you know, who I am. In the area where what you know that I don't know. But what significance is that amount, what you know and I, compared to what we both don't know? In other words, the understanding that, that 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 once you're measuring to what we both don't know, but here the Alter Rebbe could be from this Batchen is taking even a deeper step. The Batchen is at least saying that what? that there is a certain place where we both don't know. And even the Altareb is saying, wow, it's above, it's above. And the Altareb is being wowed. But he's saying, even the wow, where you're saying that you don't know, do you, do you really appreciate what you don't know? We don't even appreciate. And it's the same like the child who says he does know. They're both so far from what it really is because no one it possibly can even begin to know. And therefore it's all equal. That's what he's, and that's why the highest angels that say, I am a claim where is he? It's equal to the people down here in the world that think his glory is everywhere. Which is true, his glory is everywhere, but it's very limited knowledges on earth. Yet both of them are the same. Where is he going with all of this? We're talking so much about, where he's going is one thing to show how creation with everything in it and all of its experiences is all absolutely nothing. Now, however, is where, so this is very depressing. <laughs> but once you know that you're nothing, you can start yearning for something. And The good news is that God is willing to give us something. Not just something, he's willing to give us everything. When we say everything, we mean his everything. Not only is he willing to give us his everything, I don't want to say he's dying too, because God does not dying, But it's like that's why he is crazy about giving us this everything. That's why he created every all of creation, this nothing, because he desired that in this nothing he should be able to enter in and give us his infusion. When you really get this, when this information clicks, it's impossible. When it clicks, it still hasn't clicked by me, even though I'm teaching this for twenty five years. Because if it would click, I would become a tzaddik. What's a tzaddik? A tzaddik is someone who drops everything in this world and is only obsessed with one thing, with channeling God. Because you realize that God is the only reality and you want to bring him in and do this credible work. If we treat our bodies and our life, our physical existence outside of this as important, it's because we haven't even begun to realize what it says over here. I mean, we're talking and we're speaking about it, but it's like it needs to click. It needs to like really become real to us how nothing the worlds are how how amazing it is that we have an opportunity to actually bring Hashem literally into existence so now let's finish up this whole explanation about the nothing we'll conclude this so I estimate I don't know because I know you're all new over here you don't realize that this is a marathon over here so I sometimes I'm worried that you're see you know yeah so we do a marathon it's usually we're at one hour and fifteen minutes, nothing to complain. We usually go two hours and forty-five minutes. So we have about uh 55 minutes left, maybe less. Um no but you can leave if you need to. I always I give permission. Dismissed. But if you want to hang around and finish this piece, it's really good. Umnum. No, but people, you know, you work all week, you're tired. Um, let's see. Um and that's why it says, I am where is the place of his of his glory? Even the upper worlds don't know him. Ulamata and below And below it says that God fills all space. So how can it be that he fills the space below? He's filled his glory, is down here, but not up there. And this is based on the reason we said before. is From God, it's all laughable. It's all, no one knows him. And even those who think that they know that they don't know, they don't even know what they don't know. Because what they think they don't know is like, they're just not even getting it at all. So, In front of God, there's no difference. Between the upper and the lower. That's the way things are on its own. Without the mitzvahs. However, what is the meaning that God wants to have a home in the lower worlds? It means that Hashem wants us to channel the oneness down here into the world. Over here when He says, like above, He doesn't mean in the higher worlds. Because He said the higher worlds also have nothing. He means means, as it is above all of creation completely above the way it the way it is to God himself that's what he means above that very truth the way god knows himself in the same way he should be known to us down here that means a home because a home is where you are fully revealed and fully expressed and if you're living in your own home and no one is responding to you, you're not in your house. If you're a guest somewhere and you're shy, it's possible that you go, with, You could be a little unnoticed. Not such a good host, but, but if you're in your own house, where you're supposed to be able to fully express yourself and the environment is tuning into your desire, that's what it means. In my house, things are the way I like it. And hopefully the people that are living with me in the house take me seriously and, and can and and can and can and can respond to, to, to so if God remains in this world invisible, invisible, he's everywhere. But if he's invisible and not be and we're and the creatures in this world are not responding to his will and not reacting to his will, then 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 it's not a home. A home means to be here in a revealed way and to be not. Not to project some influence, but to fully be there. That's what a house is. A house is where you are fully comfortable, fully relaxed, fully present in the house with your entire essence. So, God wants the oneness to be down here as it is above. And what does that mean? So, how will God come down into this world? As I mentioned, the discourse over here is much more elaborate, and that's where I'm taking a lot of what I'm saying. Over here, it's, it's, it's a little tricky. I have to fit it into the words. But in what context? Everything has to have context. In what context does God want to feed himself into his home, into this world? What's the contextual setting? Of how he wants to move in amongst us, he's going to move in to a world where there are other beings. Obviously, it's all him, but all but but we experience ourselves as others. So, what's going to be our relationship with God down here? He's living with us as who? He's living with us as who? In our home, together with us, this is we're sharing this space with him. As what? As our king. As a king with his subjects. However, he doesn't want to muscle his way around because then it's not a home. He does not want to have to force his will in the world. Then he would be a tyrant. He wants to be a king amongst us, living in this palace with us living in the palace with him. His entire essence revealed, but we... He's our king. And the real notion of a king is where all of his subjects are super excited about his kingship. They want to be his subjects. Subjects over here meaning that everybody, that we all are willfully and excitingly submitting ourselves to his desire. Without him needing to complain about it, without him needing to force it upon us. So the high new, and that is... This is like it says, your kingship is the kingship of all worlds. That his kingship should be accepted with will. There's a verse we say in in the evening prayer. With will we've accepted it. It's not enough. So what does God want? What makes him happy? That we joyfully, excitedly, and happily submit ourselves to His will, do His, learn His Torah, do His mitzvot, channeling Him down in a way that we're not we're not resisting Him, and we're not we, we don't feel like He's like He's encroaching upon us. We we're so excited about the fact that we have the honor to facilitate God Himself into our lives. Ken ye lamata. So down here below. So now let's understand something. Initially through when God creates the world, as we look into human history, human beings were not too interested to to be subservient, to be subjects of God. The human race immediately turned its back to God and chose things that were, chose to live lives antithetical to his will. So then his, now doesn't mean that God was not was not did not remain the king over the world. God has always been the king. But he was more of a he forced his way and had his way. Ultimately God always has his way, but the question is is it in a way where we is he is he is he is, he is, he is are, are we are we are we accepting it willfully and joyfully or is he muscling his way through the world? So God wants us to be completely unified with him in a happy, and a loving, and an excited invitation of his kingship. So, Now in the Hebrew, the difference between a kingship and a dictatorship is in the word, kingship is called melech, and a dictator is called a moshel. A moshel is a governor, someone who governs by force. So there's a verse that says, we say it in in Ashrei." In our one of our major prayers every day, I think chapter 1, Psalm 146, it says, "Malchuscha your kingship, Malchus kol olamim, is the kingship of all worlds, umem um shaltacha, and your dominion, bechol dor v'dor, is in every generation. So it seems like it's the same thing, your kingship and your dominion. But over here, it's a differentiating. Whether we like it or not, God's the boss. And he, he, he shuffles things around in this world the way he likes it. But he'd much rather that we participate in everything willfully and joyfully. And that we serve him and we fulfill his will. See, he wants it to be a kingship, not a dominion. So with the Jewish people, and when we're doing what we're supposed to do, we channel him into this world in a way of kingship. When Moshiach will come, the entire world down here will be his kingdom. Until then, it's memshaltecha. It's his governorship, which meaning to say, there is the world is being rampaged by a bunch of egos who want to do their own will, who see themselves as the as 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 the as the important important uh, important entities in this world, and not and not and not not appreciating the awesomeness of being able to be a subject. Of an infinite being living through us and expressing himself through us. So the so basically he's saying those that are not Sadiqim, to them and the external in the external world, God is memshalticha, his 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 dominion is up, is 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 he he ruled by an iron fist. Sometimes we think we can get away and do what we want, but ultimately God always is in charge. But it's in a way of memshalticha, dominion. He wants it to be Malchuscha, he wants us to. Excitedly and willfully channel him into everything and and, and and surrender our will to his will. That's external. His, his dominion is in every generation. That's against the will. And not with will. So, again, to create the home, we have to really want to be in a relationship with him. We have to really want to invite him in. And that includes cancelling our desires and wants for his desire. But cancelling our desire doesn't mean an obliteration of self. It means an up an upgrading of self. We cancel our desire so we can unify ourselves into his desire. And then when we unify ourselves into his desire, we become infinitely bigger than ourselves because we become him. So it does. it is painful because on the most superficial of, of self, you have to override your desire. And many times our personal desires are in conflict with God's will. And over there it hurts, but that's why God made it this way. That he wants to give us a chance to be able to overcome our superficial ego, our superficial desires and wants, with this realization of what we learned before, how nothing we are when we're part of our own ego, and how awesome everything is when we have God living in us and through us, and we are part of him. But again, the context is kingship. That's why the way we change our lives to be in channels for God is through acceptance, doing the mitzvot. And mitzvot need to be be done with submission. We submit to his will because in the submission, we, we, we open up a space for God to enter. Because God cannot reveal himself, his true self, where there is a contradiction to his truth that he is and there's none but him so even though god wants to fill this world with his truth which means he doesn't want us to dissolve he does want our egos to dissolve we're not supposed to relinquish our identity but we do have to relinquish our ego and therefore as long as when we feel ourselves as something and something important other than god then we contradict his existence And his unity cannot reveal itself. So we have to be willing to become become deflated of selfish desire and devote ourselves. And that's why not everybody's a tzaddik, because it's not that easy to do that. Because most of us want to hold on to dear life, to our own egos, to our own set of wills and desires and wants. But a much higher way of living is the realization that, if we just burrow through that thin layer of self, we will suddenly realize an infinitely more satisfactory and higher self because we're then one with the infinite I, which is God, and we can then funnel and channel his V. His so as he says over here, this is the concept of Bittl. The Midrash, the Talmud tells us that God cannot stand a haughty person. The one thing that contradicts God more than anything else is a haughty being. God says, I cannot live, I cannot live with a, I cannot live in one space. I can't share a space with someone who's haughty and arrogant. So what is necessary is to feel how we're utterly nothing before him. And the moment we are willing to become nothing before him, he fills us completely. Once we hollow ourselves out of our own ego and self, then instead of asking, what do I want? I ask, what can I do for you at this moment? And when we say that to God, what can I do for you? He has quite a lot of things he wants us to do. He has plenty of of jobs and, and 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 but when we're willing to to, to step into the thing that he's then he, he's channeled through us this is the bottle that he wants of us we shouldn't be an obstacle to him there is a state where god says i can live i can't live in your house we want him to find our house our home and our bodies and our space to be in, in, in inviting to him. He should feel cozy there. For that, we have to be soft and not rigid in our own eye. When we are in a state of bitul, bitul meaning nullification, and, and for that reason, we know that in which space in the cosmos that God does God dwell most, which space facilitates God? Before we draw him down all the way down to earth, which point in the universe is there a point where God does settle and is perfectly comfortable? So we know in the highest one of the, in our four worlds, in the in the highest worlds, there are ten sefirot. In the highest sefirah is chachma. So in chachma, God is perfectly comfortable all the time. Why? Because chachma is koachma, the power of total bitter. Chachma has no ego. And that's why the Oyrein seif can perfectly dwell. Once we leave chachma, it starts to be a little self self-aware. And then it gets thicker and chunkier and chunkier. By the time you get down here, you're dealing with super-duper egos. (laughs) And so that's our work. That's where God gives us the work of Torah and mitzvahs to surrender ourselves. The whole point of Judaism, of mitzvahs, is channeling God down. And how do you channel God down? By not I. By not I. And living a life of a Jew means saying to yourself a million times, not I. I want to be lazy now. I want to do this. I know. But what does God want? It's constantly overriding the ego. It's an exercise of Bittol. That's, that's how you actualize God in this world. That's, that's why the aint self dwells in chachma. Chachma is the power of what? But now he's going to share. Oh, so this is Galal. So now you have the chachma. So a person has to bring himself. Now, the way to bring yourself into that state of mind is through prayer. Only through meditation and prayer can you come to a place where you recognize how nothingness the worlds are and you want the true being and you're willing to let go of self so that you can live a higher existence. But this is only a preparation. This is that you hallowed yourself out that there's no more self over here. But now you have to fill your space with God's self. How do you do that? How is now your space? the space of the human going to be filled with God's with God's input. Uh, so for that, God gives us Torah and mitzvot, all the mitzvahs, which the mitzvahs are thought, speech, and action. Every mitzvah has three levels. Mitzvahs are not just like, we think mitzvahs are just actions. But every mitzvah also has speech. Because every mitzvah that we have in practice also has a Torah. That means the mitzvah stated in the Torah. You look in the Shulchan Aruch and the Code of Jewish Law of how do you do the mitzvah. So the mitzvahs exist in speech, the mitzvahs exist in action, and the mitzvahs exist in thought. Why? Because if you're speaking and learning Torah, it's not enough to say it. You have to also think it and understand it. So therefore, every mitzvah could be experienced in thought, speech, and in action. Now here's the cool thing. When we are running the program of mitzvahs, which means we are filling what God commanded us to do in the learning of Torah and the doing of mitzvahs. What we are really doing is we are allowing God's mind, Hashem's, Hashem's thoughts, into, we, we removed our own thoughts and we filled it with God's thoughts. We removed our own speech and I'm not saying my own ideas, my own opinions, my own Meshagas. God is now speaking through me. And when I'm doing mitzvahs, I'm not doing my actions. I'm allowing God's actions to come through me. So suddenly, the human being that was still f- so busy with himself has now hallowed out, flushed out the self through the bittul, And now you become a full channel of God, and that's a tzaddik. Now, we all can have moments. We all have pieces of tzaddik. The thing about the tzaddik is that he lives this way 24-7 all the time. So his entire being is just a, ch- a manifestation of God in this world. That's really cool to be a tzaddik. The hard part is to flush out the ego, which, you know, most of us are not always ready to do. Now this, to live like this, it's called the way of Hashem. Why? Every mitzvah has three garments, machshava, thought, dibur, speech, my action, which is the sum totality of all human behavior. All human behavior is thought, speech, and action. Now God lowers Himself down so that we can so that He can enter into our thought and into our actions and in our speech, so that we can then live His thought, His speech, and His action, and that He's having a home inside our space. This is the the, 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 the download that comes from above through the mitzvahs, so that there should be an enclothment, God's thoughts should enter our thought, and God's speech should enter our speech, and God's actions should enter into our actions. His activities should be funneled into our limbs of our bodies. We should do His actions. Because I'll put it to you simply, human beings would never have thought of and never had any interest unless you're really weird and really strange of tying leather boxes and leather straps around your hand and head every morning so if you're doing that it's not that's not our business that's god's business so when you're spending an hour a day with those leather boxes around your head filling, and around your hand it's you're running God's program. You're not running your program. You probably have other better things to do with your hands and feet if it was up to you. But it's God's. It's what God wants. I'm doing it. And the same is like in every aspect. Every mitzvah you're doing, it's really God's actions and activities that you are lending your body for God to do it through you. And that means he's having a home inside of you. He's living in your soul. And he's becoming the true you. And he allows you to enjoy it too. So you can be there too. It's not like you're canceled and obliterated, just that you don't necessarily always do what you think you should be doing. You let God decide the program for the day. And that's the meaning of the whole You should love God so much with all your heart and all your soul, meaning God should fill every facet of your soul, every facet of your being. But he asks the question, how can your thoughts be God's thoughts? Doesn't it say in the verse, It says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So God's thoughts are infinitely above us. How in the world are his thoughts going to be our thoughts? Are we going to think his thoughts? Are we going to think or speak his speech? It says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So the Rebbe, the Rebbe now negates the whole notion that humans... There is this, philosophic, this philosophical notion that the, that the ancient philosophers swore by it. And those who don't learn Hasidus are still stuck in that. And, in, and it annoys the hell out of me. Every single time it gets me so angry. It's because when Judaism is still stuck in in a thousand year old Judaism, it makes me sick. Because catch up with the program. Hasidism changed it all. It brought much deeper understanding. What is the philosophical notion? Is that so untouchable, so high, so removed, so so abstract, so this? You, you're so far, you're We can't know him. You can't. And Hasidus says, and to, to the so the extension is, and and the the philosophers, their main line always was: if you would know him, you would be him. So, so therefore, you can't know him because you can't be him. And Chasid comes along and said, so what? Know him and be him. What's wrong if you're him? <laughs> you could be him. So this is what the Altar Rebbe says over here. It says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. But the Altar Rebbe says, you forgot the end of the verse. It says, your ways are not my ways. What does What does the verse mean? Your ways are not my ways. When are my thoughts, not your thoughts? When am I a billion gazillion infinitely, infinitely more loftier than you, infinitely bigger and endlessly higher than you? When your ways are not my ways. When you haven't paved those roads, when you're not following those pathways. But when you are following my my, when your ways are my ways, when your your mannerisms, your actions, your thoughts, your speech are what I am channeling to you, then my thoughts are your thoughts. My speech is your speech. Or your speech is my speech. Your thoughts are my thoughts. Your actions are my actions. You could be a divine being. So be it. You could be God on earth. You are him. If you're willing to melt out of your own existence and take on what the Torah says is God's thinking and God's words. So again, we're going to read it tomorrow in the, in the Haftorah, on the fast day we say this. My thoughts are not your thoughts. When? When your ways are not my ways. But when you follow the ways of the Torah, then my thoughts are your thoughts. My speech is your speech. And you can be me in this world. If God shrinks himself into a human body, guess who he is? He's a Jew keeping Torah and Mitzvah. That's God shrinking himself into this world. And he wants to shrink himself into each and every one of us and express himself in the physical through each and every one of us. So know him and be him. And nothing is going to happen to him. Don't worry. He's not going to be offended by it. (laughs) He wants that. So, even though it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. The end of the verse is, your ways are not my ways. Meaning, when, is, when are, are my thoughts and your thoughts not equal? When your ways are not my ways. But if your ways are my ways, then it's possible to be. My thoughts can be your thoughts. I will share my thoughts with you to the point that you will just be a funnel for my thoughts and my speech and my actions. And your ways will be my ways. And what does it mean? What does it mean that our... our, how do you make it that our ways should be his ways? It's not enough to learn Torah and do mitzvot. It's not enough to do that. Because a person can learn Torah and do mitzvot and he's not a manifesting God. To manifest God in this world, you have to, you have to be on God's path. And what does that mean? That your intention in your observance should be that you want to dissolve in God's truth. You want to channel him into this world if a person is just learning torah doing mitzvot and and is not intending it, they're doing it for their own ego, for their own honor, for their own thing, then it's not it's not having this effect. When is the divine channeling through us? When the intention is to open up a pathway for god. You want God, and, and how do you get to that? For that you have to pray. That's why the sages say that if you learn torah and do mitzvot but you're not praying, which means you're not first meditating, you're first not, you know, coming in tune in it, then it's not really happening. That the study has to be for the sake of God. And that's why you have to pray first. Now he's going back to explain. I understand where mitzvahs are in action. I understand where mitzvahs are in speech, but where are mitzvahs in thought? So he's explaining, because thought and is dependent on speech because you can't speak without thought. The al and therefore, the The verse says, I put my words in your mouth, so if you can speak Torah, you can't speak unless you're thinking. And when you're speaking Torah, God is speaking through your mouth, so when you're thinking Torah, God is thinking through your head. Hislapshoz dibur dibur, the enclosement of God's speech into our speech and automatically will also be thought, will be invested in thought. And these three levels of thought, speech, and action, the Tzemach Tzedek says, these are the three worlds, meaning, we said before that means to bring God from Atzilus, Atsilos is divine. To bring God from Atzilus into the three lower worlds, into creation, formation, and action. So, how does God come down into the three worlds? When we draw Him into our thought, we're bringing Him into the world of Bria, because the world of Bria comes from God's thoughts. So, when we're bringing God into our thought, we're filling, bringing Him into the world of Bria and the world of creation. When we are sp- bringing God into our speech. We're drawing God's manifest the Dira, the home of God, into the world of Yetzira. Excuse me, into the world of formation. And when we're doing godly activity, the action of a mitzvah, we're bringing God, grounding Him all the way down into the world of Asiya. So we created a Derech Hashem, a pathway for God all the way down. And 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 and, 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 and what's the what's the Hidush What's the novelty? The lower three worlds are called worlds of separation. So we're bringing the oneness into the separation. The almed the in the worlds of separation yumsach should be drawn giloi the revelation of oirin tzayf baruchu of the infinite one blessed And what happens? God God refers to the Jewish people. You are my twin. You're my twin. What does that mean? Because once we draw God into thought, speech, and action. We are no more human being. We are now a divine being. And then we're twins with God. Hashem as he is in Atzilus looks down on us. We look exactly like him. He sees that we're thinking his thoughts, we're speaking his words, and we're and we're and we're doing the same actions. We're on the same page. We're perfectly aligned. Of course, he understands it and sees it on a much loftier, infinite level. We understand it very limitedly, but still, it's the same thoughts, it's the same actions, it's the same speech. And that we're and accomplishing this, this is what we mean when we say, God, if only you can be like a brother to me, like we began. Because this means we're bringing God into a manifest state into this world, that he is fully, there should be a revelation of Havaya down here below, then God is called like a brother to me, which isn't the case when God remains secluded and hidden in an abstract above the world. He's not a brother to us. In the days of the Beis Mingdash, it was much easier to accomplish this. Because people were in a more spiritually attuned place. So there were much more tzaddikim living in the days of the Besaming. Mingdash. When the temple was destroyed, in exile it's much harder. So that's why we're saying if only you can be to me like a brother and if we can uh, like achieve such oneness like we once did when the base English was standing. Now, I thought I'm going to f- manage to finish until chapter two, but I have Rachmanis. And I'm going to stop now because this, for me to explain this well, of of because now he's going to explain what does it mean nursing for my mother. What is the nursing meaning, and what is the milk over here, and what is the mother element? And it's a lot condensed, and I don't want to patch it up by by just by doing it quickly, because it's... so we're going to stop over here, and we're going to, next week we're going to finish this complete Bezus Hashem. The, the the latter part of this still containing to the service of the tzaddikim. This idea of bringing God down into this world to manifest in this world, initially, it's like a little baby. You're, you're, you're making Hashem, you're, 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 you're causing Hashem to be born into this world as your little brother. He's born. He's now, there's a divine presence in this world, but like a little infant. And now it needs to be developed. And how is you have to, and, and that is like like a little baby who needs to be nursed to become big. And what that means is we have to expand the divine presence in this world. Nursing period is the most expansive period in a person's life. There's no other time in a person's life where you grow so much like in the, in according to Torah, 24 months of nursing. The first two years when the baby, because that's when you like quadruple your size no other period in time in our life do we have such expansive growth. (laughs) So speed growth happens in those two years. So he's going to explain that we have to affect, that the divine manifestation, that the, the infinite compresses itself and comes down into this world, should be given expansion. Expansion means that it should fill every nook and cranny of existence. And that is through God, through the Torah opening up into all the various different facets. The milk is the Torah. And the Torah takes the limbs of God, the the, the channels of the divine. And, 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 And there are so many different avenues that it flows. So many aspects of godliness, which causes an expansion of the divine. You can meet God in so many different experiences. You can learn the law, this laws, and learn these laws, and have this aspect of Torah and this part of mitzvahs and this part. It's the expansion of it. What does it take? The expansion. There's an element of joy, of pleasure. a Hashem, we're going to see all of this. This development. This is all part of the service of the tzaddikim. Once this is done, we go into the what the Balchuva There's a complete different connection to God, and then it's going to he's going to round it up in the end of how there needs to be a fusion of tzadik and bal tshuva together. Bezrat, Hashem. Okay. Okay. I knocked off 30 minutes in honor of... Oops, no, no, no. Stay. Let's go end streaming.